Guys, you're listening to the Everything Went Black podcast, and this is the topic series. Me and Randy Larson are getting together to do these uh, sort of focused episodes. This time around, we're going to be focusing on Australian rock music. So, if you're into Nick Cave, The Birthday Party, Beasts of Bourbon, Portal, The Hoodoo Gurus, uh, The Scientists, you know, Fetus that kind of stuff, then this is uh, the episode for you. Before we get started, I just want to shout out on it, our affiliate sponsor, head over to everythingwithblackmedia.com and check out the portals. If you're into swinging kettlebells, taking supplements, and eating weird nut butters and that sort of stuff, check out the uh, portals, click, buy some stuff, and the lights get to stay on around here for a little while longer. Also... Savage Gold Coffee, go to savagegoldcoffee.com for the strongest, richest, blackest coffee available to anyone in the entire world. It's delicious and it's mine, so go check it out. I'd like to thank everyone once again that is uh, supporting this effort through Patreon. Really appreciate the ongoing support, and if you're interested in becoming a member and donating as little as $1. You can check out the Patreon account either at everythingwentblackmedia.com or if you head over to the Facebook page, you'll see that it's pinned to the top. And now, on to the episode. For this episode of Topic, uh, we're going to focus on Australian underground bands. And uh, this came... This, this subject rose from, I think, one of our other two episodes. We were talking about all the great bands from Australia. Yeah. yeah. Uh, might have been the AMRAP episode. Yeah, because we were talking about the Cosmic Psychos. Yes. Yeah, Lubricated Goat. But before we do that, you can't talk about Australia without giving respect to ACDC and NXS, I think. And NXS. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you're a bigger fan than me, but I'll I'll roll with that. I mean, I don't. I'm not. I'm not going to say that I don't actually own any NXS records, but I think it's more of like a nostalgic thing with them. Uh, I remember like being a kid and like, you know, like hot chicks like that band, and I was just like, oh yeah, this is kind of cool, like NXS. But ACDC though, I think, yeah, yeah. is more of um, within the zeitgeist of the kinds of stuff that you and I are into. You know, it's like yeah. hard rock. It's got like this kind of dirty like vibe to it and it's just like good raw like rock and roll and probably one of the sort of premier bands from that part of the world to actually make it on like the global stage you know what i mean yeah i think acdc is the best pure rock and roll band out of all bands yeah like in, you, it, really? in that genre okay. that i think is rock and roll not metal okay not you know uh, just straight rock and roll. I think the template that they put down and their sound is, I think they're the best 
rock and roll band. I mean, especially the early stuff. I was more of a uh, Bon Scott guy than a Brian Johnson guy. But I think those early records are perfect yeah. records. I mean, they're definitely one of my favorite bands of all time, for right. sure. And and I, I, I definitely favor Bon Scott. Um, like when I think about ACTC, I think about Bon Scott. And I do like Back in Black. Me too. And um, I mean, I don't know the exact history of this, but I, I believe that most of the songs were written with Bon Scott in mind. That's what I heard too. Yeah. But Brian Johnson stepped in and did an admirable job. I mean, you know, the stuff with Brian Johnson's still good. Yeah. Most of it, anyway. But uh, I just prefer Bon Scott, man. I don't know. No one sounds like Bon Scott. At least back then when he was doing that. A lot of people, you know, emulate that now. But, you know, I'm going to say with Brian Johnson, I'm going to say I only really dig Back in Black and um, For Those About to Rock, We Salute You. You know, I, I can't really get into the, the stuff after that, really. Yeah, I mean, I, when I was a, uh, younger, maybe I got into this, that stuff a little bit more. I mean, not really, though. I mean, I liked uh, Who Made Who when it came out. Okay. Remember that, uh, yeah. that get played on the school bus a lot, you know? I was yeah, they had a rock video for it. Yeah, I was into that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm with you, man. Back to Black, for those about the rock. Those are the, those are the premier records with Brian Johnson. Yeah. You know, going back to Bon Scott real quick, though, it's like, it's almost like Bon Scott was this kind of archetypical Australian rocker guy. Like, the more, as, as time went by and you discover more stuff, and we're going to get to that, I guess, in this episode. Yeah. About just like the rock scene, there were bands like the Angels and Rose Tattoo, right? That were also happening in in Australia around that time. That were I would say contemporaries, especially Rose Tattoo was contemporaries of ACDC. Yeah, and very sport. similar, very similar. And, you know, it was just songs about fighting and like yeah. chicks and getting drunk and you know, just fucking badass, being an outlaw, dude. like yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, yeah, that's you know, it's it's like the the typical male fantasy trip, you know, and, and that's, you know, Brian Johnson, even, even thinking about the time frame in the late seventies, that was kind of like a new, a new character really in a lot of ways. Yeah. You thought about like Zeppelin and, and Sabbath and, uh, you know, bands like Nazareth and, you know, even Thin Lizzy didn't really have, even though Thin Lizzy were definitely badasses. Definitely, man. They didn't have that vibe though. ACDC also, their look, the way they looked. Yeah. I mean, Sabbath and Zeppelin, uh, all those bands, you know, they kind of dress the rock and roll part. You know, the, the fringe and the bell bottom. Tight you know. pants. Yeah, yeah like ACDC, I mean, they had the tight pants going on for sure. But uh, they just, they look like fucking dudes that just got off work like uh, at the loading dock. And then you have Angus. Well, well and Angus. Right, I should say the other the other guys look like that. Yeah. But like, you know, they, I don't know, man. It was just, they, there was an edge, I think, to some of those Australian bands a little rough around the edges. And I think that filtered down to the underground scene. Yeah. Because some of those underground bands that we're going to talk about feel have that same, like, rough around the edge. Everything's a little bit noisy. You know? I don't know. I think it all stems from ACDC, you know? Well, one of the Australian underground bands I want to talk about actually covers an ACDC song. They cover Ride On. Probably top three ACDC songs. Yeah, for it's me. a great one. And well, it's, a, it's ballady too. It's like a ballady type of jam. I always wanted Cable to cover that oh, song man. for years and years and years. We never did. But that, that band is Beasts of Bourbon. Yes, a band you turned me on to. And I, I actually found out about them through reading Henry Rollins' books. 
I mean, you know, the, the tour journals and stuff. Right. A lot of, a lot of um, bands I actually listened to, I found out through reading Henry Rollins' material, you know, I found out about Beast Suburban, Swans, The Birthday Party. Like, I knew who Nick Cave was, but I didn't know that he was someone I should listen to. Right. Until I actually read about how Rollins is into Nick Cave and The Birthday Party and all that stuff. It seems like Rollins has a, a strong affinity with Australia, a connection yeah. with Australia. He's done, like, live spoken word albums from there. He, he did, uh, I think it was an EP with the Hard-Ons. Yes. Yep. Australian punk I have band. that. Yep. Yeah. They're, they're they covered Let There Be Rock. Yep, that's right. right. It's a great fucking yeah. record, man. So I always feel like Rollins had his, you know, he was definitely in touch with Australia and kind of maybe brought some of those bands to the forefront in America, a little more attention to them, you know? Yeah, that, uh, I mean, Australia's like a rough and tumble country, you know? It's got yeah. this kind of like, yeah. like brutal vibe to things, you know? Right. And I, I can see that being a place that he would like feel an affinity for. You sure. Know what I mean? Yeah, but yeah, Beast Suburban, man. That you—that's a band you. T- I heard the name for years, never checked them out until recently. Um, embarrassed to say, but I really like what I hear from them. So they formed in Sydney in 1983, and the core members of James Baker, who was in the, another band that we're going to talk about called the Hoodoo Gurus, which probably very few people have heard of. Spencer P. Jones on guitar, Tex Perkins on vocals, and the great Kim Salmon ex-scientist on guitar, along with Boris Sudovic, the drummer, who is also uh, from the band The Scientists, which is a band that I know you're, you're fond of. Yeah, absolutely. Man. Yeah. And apparently Stu Spasm of Lubricated Goat had a brief stint playing guitar in this band as well. I read that uh, the research department put that across my desk earlier today. <laughs> I think it was a brief, very brief stint. Yeah. But coming from that guy, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> He seems like he might be difficult to get along with. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> he might be hard to work with. He might be, yeah. But uh, but yeah, they're one of those bands that has member changes, and they're still fairly for a band that's broken up. Are still fairly active. Like they they'll do these festivals, or they'll have like a fly-in date in Europe or something. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. So I mean, they're technically broke, disbanded. But they, you'll, you still have. There's still a chance you might see them play somewhere. Though. Yeah, uh, I think they have a record that came out not too long ago. <laughs> because when I went on uh, uh, Apple Music to look up some of their stuff, there was only one record, and it's like a newer record. Yeah, none see, of the ones that you told me to check out that, were on there. That might have um, escaped me then. Yeah, and then when you look on uh, the uh, Wikipedia page, man, their member list is yeah, it's like pages. It's long, man. Yeah, like a lot of guys probably came and went pretty quick. But uh, that um, early stuff, though, uh, you can, you know, th- there was a stylistic sort of variance, though. The early records, uh, the Axeman's Jazz, is kind of like, if you start there, you're going to, you'll you'll get a feeling of, like, maybe the Cramps and uh, the Gun Club. Yep, totally. And that kind of vibe with, like, this kind of surfy blues, almost like a rockabilly, like a dark kind of rockabilly vibe to it. And that was kind of like... What they um, they kind of ran with that for a little while. Then the band broke up in '85 and reformed in '87. And I mean, you get the you get the feeling that these guys are kind of like you know a, a rough bunch of dudes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Probably into drugs and alcohol and all this sort of stuff. A mess. Living the rock and roll lifestyle, if you will. Um, and then they came back with uh, Sour Mash, which saw them getting into more creative terrain, like sort of bringing in different influences. 
Um, still having a heavy blues kind of vibe going on, but kind of pulling in other stuff. And probably one of my favorite records by them is uh, a record called The Low Road. Um, and the two tracks on there is uh, Chase the Dragon and the, the song The Low Road, which there's a, a, a actual rock music video made for that song. And um, that's incredibly hard to find. Like, I don't think that's on iTunes or anything like that. Is that the one you were telling me that you paid like uh, 50 bucks yeah. for a CD? Copy? I paid $50 yeah. <laughs> to order a CD version of it. Not even like an LP. It was the CD, the compact disc. So that's somewhere in my storage space right now. Hopefully not getting scratched. <laughs> or as I'm saying, that someone's probably breaking in and stealing that box of records. Uh, I started with uh, Axeman's Jazz. Um, and I, yeah, definitely heavy cramps, gun club. Really awesome though. Yeah. I listened to it a, a lot. And then uh, I went to the live record that you oh, recommended dude. to me. Uh, yeah. From there, what was that called? It's called the Low Life. Low Life. Yeah, and that came out in two thousand three, and it actually features some of the material that's on the Low Road. But yeah, it's, it's like the versions. It's blown out more. Yeah, man. dude. It's like, it, it sounds like one can say that it doesn't sound very good. That record. But it sounds great. Right, yeah, totally. Man. It's like yeah. so harsh sounding and raw and the, the mic's feeding back through the monitors and and uh, Tex Perkins' voice sounds shot. Right. It sounds like he <laughs> smoked like two packs of cigarettes and drank a bottle of whiskey and he's just like... But it sounds real. Man. Yeah, dude. And on that record, they have... Um, they got live versions of Ride On and Cocksucker Blues. Yes, Cocksucker Blues. And, and you know, it's funny. It's like if someone was going to say, well, what, what, how would you describe... Uh, piece of bourbon I would say well it's like ACDC and the Rolling Stones maybe a little bit of New York Dolls a little bit of New York Dolls and like yeah. the cramps maybe yeah you know so that the fact that they covered an ACDC song and you know uh, um, Stones track you know and, and you can say that you know you can, one, you can also say the New York Dolls are an extension of the Rolling Stones kind of yeah, totally man you know so it's pretty pretty rad that 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 when I discovered that record, I was like, oh, wow, this is fucking ACDC, man. Yeah, I, dude, it was a nice discovery for me because, you know, I heard the name but never checked them out. And it was, you know, it was like a, a whole new world for me. Like, and anyone who wants to check out Be Suburban, I recommend going to YouTube. Yeah. Because okay. I, I had a hard time finding a lot of their stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's hard. I mean, especially there, finding physical copies yeah. of this stuff. It's, yeah, good luck. Yeah, Discogs is probably your best yeah, bet. And you'll pay. Because Amazon didn't have much. No, and you'll pay. Yeah, yeah. Another great song by them is a track called Cool Fire. Um, it's on the record Black Milk. And uh, that's that's in the, probably one of my top five favorite songs by them. And it's this kind of croony, like, torch song. Yet, with their tongue-in-cheek approach to this stuff, still intact, though. I mean... That's that's one of the things I really appreciate about the B Suburban is that their songs operate on two different levels in some ways. It's like you can you can really take it literally and be feel the emotions that they're portraying in, in the songs, and you can also approach it with like this tongue in cheek sense of humor, and it works equally effectively in both ways. You know what I'm trying sure, to say? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, and that's that. what I love about it. Like you could, if depending on what mood you're in, you can listen to <laughs> Cool Fire. And, you know, if you're driving at midnight in your car by yourself and you're like, you get all emotional listening to the song, or you can listen to it and feel like you're having a piss with that style of music. You right, know what I mean? right, right. Because it is very, like, you know, and I, I'm a sucker for that kind of croony Roy Orbison sort of stuff, you know what sure. I mean? So for me, it's like, 
one of those tracks that like works in a lot of different ways. Another thing we're digging into like a lot of this Australian stuff, uh, you know, no doubt the bands we mentioned, uh, the Stones, Gun Club, Cramps, stuff like that, or Beast of Bourbon, but almost no matter what band I listen to, I always hear Birthday Party, mm-hmm. Nick Cave influence yeah. in all these bands. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I don't know if you want to shift gears onto maybe the Birthday Party and the stuff that stems from there. Yeah, totally. But before we do that, it's just to mention that Kim Salmon also had another band called The Surrealists that he was doing, and... You know, people in Beast of Bourbon touched all these other different bands, like, you know, Kim Salmon and the Surrealists. Tex Perkins had a band called The Cruel Sea. You know, they had former members of The Scientists, like right. that sort of stuff. But yeah, the sort of shadow of Nick Cave and the birthday party really, you know, seems to be cast over a bunch of these types of bands that, um, you know, they take this kind of blues approach to things, but they mix it in with this other you know, kind of unique take on it. You know? Yeah. Maybe because they're Australian, you know, and the blues is an American thing. Who knows? Yeah, that's what I like to think. Yeah. I do see a common thread with uh, a lot of these Australian bands where, like, I mean, I guess you could say that about any area of music, but, like, I don't know, just something about it resonates with these Australian bands to me. Yeah, well, maybe it's like in the 70s how the American blues found its way with like the Who and Led Zeppelin and right. Sabbath and you know, Deep Purple and all these bands. Um, and then maybe it took a little bit longer for the blues to hit Australia and maybe Nick Cave and the, you know, the birthday party and all this sort of stuff is the Australians' filtration of American blues because it is almost like their own t- their their take on on the blues, and you know there's that there was that um that film that Nick Cave I think he I know that he scored it but I don't know if he wrote or directed it it was like a western, uh the proposition yeah and that took place in Australia yes great movie yeah so it's great like movie. the same experience but in a different time and place and that environment right right kind of coloring the way that experience is expressed and that's kind of how I feel like maybe this music might yeah, really relate to that yeah. I think you're on to something there. Yeah. I think that's the first movie he scored too. Yeah, I'm not too familiar with his like film output. Really. Yeah, all that stuff. I like all that. Him and Warren Ellis, who has been a member of the Bad Seeds, he was started in a band called the Dirty Three mm-hmm. from Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, they score a lot of movies together now, and all the scores I've heard they've done have been really great. Definitely worth checking that stuff out as well. Um, but. Yeah, I feel like the birthday party kind of opened floodgates for uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, the birthday party started as the boys next door. Yeah. And that was like the original incarnation, which was nowhere near, it was great, but was nowhere near as like noisy and fucked up as the birthday party. It was a little more straightforward. Yeah, and it had like this kind of pop sensibility to yeah, it. Yeah, it did. You know, I mean, the song, the lyrics were still dark though. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And uh, there's that song, was it Shivers, where he's, he's talking about killing himself and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it doesn't fit with his style or something. No. Yeah, it's like a really <laughs> very, very Nick Cave, like, like twist, you know, added to it. Um, yeah, but then somewhere along the line, I mean, it's the same the same guys. It's like yeah. Nick Cave, Roland S. Howard, Mick Harvey, Tracy Pugh, Phil Calvert. And that was 
they somehow transformed into the birthday party. Yeah. And uh, but then everything that was the prototype in so many different ways for like, you know, what kind of went full circle back to like England and like Bauhaus and all this other stuff. Right. You know what I mean? Right. It's like they became like the, I mean, I guess the press because, you know, journalists like to make up shit and put no. tags on stuff. Not really. Yeah, you know, they, they dubbed him, like, the goth father of goth or something stupid like right, that. Right, Some ridiculous bullshit. You know, but it's the same way, like, the birthday party and anything that Cape Dunn did was so much deeper than just putting a tag on it like right, that. Right, right. You know? Um, I also feel like that that is a band, the birthday party is a band that maybe doesn't uh, get enough credit for uh, giving birth to the quote-unquote noise rock genre. Mm, yeah. Because... Tracy Pugh's bass, man, was just like one of those, there wasn't a lot of bass going on like that. No. It was just like real slow, plodding, it was loud in the mix, it was like thumping, like, I don't know, I, I feel like they're one of those bands that was around 20 years before a lot of, yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know, totally. quote unquote noise rock stuff, but they don't, maybe don't get a lot of credit when that kind of music is, is brought up. Yeah, well, I mean, you can hear it in Scratch Acid, the Jesus Lizards, yes. and especially those two. I think I've even read that those bands are heavily influenced by the Birthday Party, and yeah, uh, that makes total sense. Yeah, there's a British band called the Pop Group. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. Sounds exactly Actually, like the Birthday Party. I just picked up the first Pop Group album a couple of weeks ago at work, and uh, I dig it, man. It's cool. Yeah. Mike Watt always. Uh, reference references the pop group as a big influence. Really? So I've been meaning to check it out huh. for years. Um, yeah, it's that's a pretty cool, weird record too. Definitely noisy. It is very much like a British version of uh, the yeah. birthday party. Though. I think it's maybe a little more like political stuff going on. Yeah, lyrically and stuff, but still like overall sonically, it's uh, similar for sure. What are some of your standout tracks with the birthday party? Oh. All of them. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite song is probably Junkyard. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, I love that song. How about you? I would say um, the first song that I heard by them that made me realize how dark and evil they were was Deep in the Woods. Oh, yeah, that's great. And uh, that that was like, you know, after reading about their birthday party in one of Rollins' books, I went out and bought like, you know, some of their material. And that was like one of the songs that I was like, oh, okay, this is like yeah, yeah, yeah. something that I can get into, you know, right. the lyrics and just the overall somber, like plotting vibe of that song. But then, you know, I got deeper into the catalog and there's Dead Joe, uh, She's Hit, Wild World, which reminds me of uh, several women in my life. <laughs> I love Wild World. That's, yeah. That's a great one. And uh, Jennifer's Veil. Yes. That's another great yeah, one. Yeah, that's too. a great one. Uh, Nick the Stripper. Yep. It's a great one. Sunny's Burning. Sunny's Burning is a good I mean, one. Yeah, it's just so many, man. Yeah. It's just so many. But I would say those are kind of like my, uh, you know, those are like, I would have been, if I had to come up with a playlist, like that's, would be on it for sure. Well, we may have to have and it. And we have a playlist. We might have to have <laughs> a know. secondary birthday party only playlist. Um, yeah, man. Birthday party. I don't know. You can, just great. So much you could say about them. And then also the spinoffs. Yeah, that, that, that's know, a long road in itself. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. A lot of these bands, I think maybe because there are there was only like a handful of cities in all of Australia. Well, I was going to say that earlier, but I mean, I guess this happens all over the world. But it really seems 
in Australia that these bands are very incestuous. Like, yeah. and, like people move around from band to band or branch off and start projects with guys from those bands. It just, you know, I know it happens everywhere. Yeah. But, but I feel like Australia being a, like such a, it's a continental, you know, it's a gigantic place, but not a lot of people. And so right. probably not a lot of options as far as like other types of musicians. And also, it's not like London or Berlin or something where people are going there. You know <laughs> right, I mean? right, it's right, like, right. You know, to get to Australia from the Northern Hemisphere is like a, a commitment. You know what I mean? Do you know what the population of the United States is? Do I? Yeah. No. I don't either. I don't know off the top of my head. But Australia is 25 million population. Um, I would say the United States has way more than that. Oh, hell yeah. Way yeah. more than that. You know, a lot of Australia is uninhabitable. It's like right. dangerous. That it's basically like, everyone lives on like the eastern yep. seaboard. Yeah. There. And then, you know, it's a few other... And then the wildlife is de- deadly. Like you get killed by a lot of different things that live in <laughs> Australia. It's a... It's a it, you can... Yeah, if you do any research, or if you don't know uh, about Australia, it kind of like these bands that we're talking about sound Australian. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. They sound like it makes sense. The environment, the rough edge. It's a tough place, man. Yeah, yeah definitely tough place. You know. Um, so some of the spinoffs of Birthday Party. Um, one I just recently discovered is the Crime in the City Solution. Great band. Which yeah, great. I I've heard that once again. Heard the name for years. Never really put the time in to seek it out. Um, uh, but I've been listening to that a lot, and that was uh, Roland S. Howard's kind of brainchild. Um, I'm not sure how many records they have. I think they only have like two. Yeah, but I do know that 1987, they had a song, and they appeared in the soundtrack, or they appeared in the film Wings of Desire, the Vin Vendors film. Oh, really? They're in the movie, actually. Oh. They're, there's a scene. They're playing. Like, yeah, they're playing. Um, the Bruno, uh, the Bruno Gantz is in it. And there's some German, uh, German chick. It's a great scene, man. You can look it up on YouTube, and they okay. actually have that from the film, black and white. There's some, like, these, these women just don't exist anymore, man. It's like the <laughs> 80s. You know, you can just tell they're cool. Like, they're into the cool stuff. And the way she's dancing is, like, really cool. And that then the... the uh, Crime and the City Solution are playing. And it's like this whole musical interlude in there, and it's great. And um, so, yeah, I recommend that if you guys are out there on YouTube and you want to check something out really cool, look up Crime and the City Solution, Six Bells Chime, Wings of Desire. Yes. Or just watch the Vin Vendors movie in its entirety. <laughs> and and that song is is on the record that I'm, I'm looking up now because I'm too stupid to remember it. Oh, Light. Uh, Room of Lights. Room of Light, yeah, Room of Lights. Which I highly recommend, man. I, I'm, a, I'm a newbie to it. I just checked it out recently, but I've been listening to that a lot the last couple of weeks. That is a great record. You know, speaking of Roland Howard, though, it's like I, he's such a brilliant musician, songwriter, and uh, in some ways, I feel like he's lived under the shadow of Nick Cave for a really long time, man. Like, I mean, unfortunately, Roland died back in 2009. Right. I think, I think a lot of people that... You know, we're in the birthday party, maybe lived under that shadow. Yeah. And, and <laughs> it's but, still, and still live under that shadow. But, but I guess the point I'm trying to make, though, it's like, it's like almost like this sort of double-edged sword of being in the birthday party and being involved with the cave was good. However, to, to have done that and then try to have your own career afterwards. Right. I feel he, in a way, he, if he, he might have been more successful had he never been in the birthday party. 
or not successful at all. Yeah, that's another way of looking at it. <laughs> Who knows? When I listen, when I listen to this uh, Crime in the City Solution record, I've been listening to it a lot this week. I do. Even the vocals remind me a lot of Nick Cave. Oh yeah, it's it's kind of it's like the same how delivery. Blast is like a Black Flag cover band almost. You know? <laughs> yeah, totally. It's like Blast is to Black Flag yes. as Crime in the City Solution is to the birthday. Yeah, movie. yeah. This is uh, definitely. I almost had to, like a few songs where I'm like, is that Nick Cave? Like maybe doing a guest spot? I don't yeah. think it is. Well, check out the uh, that clip on YouTube and the guy's whole like thing is very. Very Nick Cave. Very Nick Cave. Yeah. You know. Um, and then there was a, a another band that he was involved with called uh, These Immortal Souls. Yep. Which I'm not that familiar with. Um, they put out a record on SST, which yeah. I think is cool. You know. They have a, they cover White Wedding by Billy Idol. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah, they do a great cover of it. Um, well, also, like, one of, one of How- Roland Howard's masterpieces came late in his life there was a record called pop crimes which came out right before he died no is that just under his name it's wrong as a solo record solo record pop crimes and this is what i'm trying to get at is like um you know where nick cave is like this you know sort of uh confident bombastic sort of sexy like evil you know dark sort of dude roland howard's music is almost like um almost like an Australian Roy Orbison. There's like this like sad, lonely sort of vibe to a lot of his music. And uh, like Pop Crimes like really captures the feeling of that. And um, it was very sad because, uh, you know, I, I, all these guys have been on my radar for, you know, decades at this point. I mean, I, I was been listening to this, these, their music for years and that record came out and then Roland died. <laughs> and I was like, it was incredibly sad because it was like you're all getting into the record. And yeah, then, I'm like, oh, maybe I'll see Roland Howard come to the states or something like that. And then he, it turns out that he died of just, I think it was like hepatitis or something like that. Or I don't know how he died. Yeah, uh, something he he died from just bad health apparently. Well, it's, I mean, the pictures I've seen of him, uh, he seems like a very frail. Yeah, yeah frail is the word. Very sure. frail guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I don't know what was going on there, but. Uh, the bass player died in like the eighties too. Tracy Pugh. Tracy Pugh. He died of like a brain hemorrhage. Uh, yes, he actually died from a brain hemorrhage that was sustained. He had an epileptic seizure and fell, and that's how he got the brain hemorrhage and died. Also, wasn't he in the band The Saints? Yes, he went. Band? Yep, from eighty four to eighty six, oh, wow. I believe. He did a uh, time in The Saints, which is another band I'm, I'm aware of. Not that familiar with their catalog. Um, I know the singer for the Saints sang on a Nick Cave track on uh, Nocturama record, mm. Nick Cave record. Um, that's how I even became aware of the Saints. Um, this stuff sounds pretty cool. But yeah, he, he did a brief stint in that band. But yeah, so half the birthday party is dead. Mick Harvey's still hanging in there, I believe. He's still hanging in there. He's making solo records yeah. and uh, doing stuff. And he was in Bad Seeds for a number of years. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, guess, I mean, you can go on and on about the bad seeds. I mean, the, you know, uh, interesting thing was uh, Blixa was in the bad seeds, and then he left to start. Well, he didn't leave. No, he started. He was, yeah, but at, yeah, sim- yeah, simultaneously. Yeah. Um, it's they're more of a London-based band, but still. 
he was in the bad seats. I believe they were based in Australia when he was in the bad seats. Nick also collaborated with a ton of people. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there was like, you know, Lydia Lunch, Nikki Sutton. He even had a collaboration with uh, uh, Nick ha- Rick, uh, Rick, ha- yeah, Rick, Chris Haskett. Chris Haskett of the Rollins Band. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I did not know that. And uh, also, the well, this is going to lead into another fellow Aussie, um, Immaculate Consumptive, which... Um, is like a collaborative effort between uh, Jim Thurwell, Lydia Lunch, and Nick Cave, and it was based in New York for a while. And that was like a... Did they do a record? Uh, not that I know of. Yeah, I didn't think so. You know, I mean, I'm probably wrong about this, because yeah. the thing with Jim Thurwell, his, his catalog is so oh, massive. Yeah. You know what I mean? And uh, also, he has all these pseudonyms that he uses, like all these different names he performs under J.G. Thurwell, Clint Ruin, Frank Want, you know, like, uh, of course, Fetus, and then even right. the incarnations of that, it's like Fetus Under Glass, Scraping Fetus Off the Wheel, right, right. you know, Wise Blood, Steroid Maximus, like all this stuff, <laughs> and it's just basically one guy, and, uh, you know, just, and this massive output of music, and it all sounds different, that's the right. thing, man, you know, there's like, different eras of that you know like the noisy stuff and there's stuff that's like sounds like big band music and instrumental and then there's material that you listen to and you're like oh yeah cop shoot cop has this record because cop shoot cop sounds exactly like this one record by jim Thurwell. right 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 you know i mean cop shoot cop are great yeah sure. but they're a fucking fetus ripoff band <laughs> if you ask me man there's probably quite a few of those yeah but they're the ones that come to mind i mean i i had nothing but like admiration for Jim Thurwell and I mean maybe Thurwell along with Throbbing Gristle and like some of those early like you know Coil probably spawned industrial music oh fuck yeah I mean yeah I mean without any of that stuff there would be no Nine Inch Nails no Ministry no you know whatever you name it Godflesh like anything you know that came out after the 80s in the 90s none of that stuff would have existed really and uh you know along the lines of just saying the fetus records and all his stuff sounds very different you could say the same for you know coil and throbbing gristle like a lot of those records sound nothing like each other yeah you know? definitely nothing i have way more coil records um i mean they have a lot more material yes yeah. endless amounts of coil records and some sound like dance records some yep. sound like ambient records some are like noise records yeah, it's just all over the place the amount of material Coil's like a little bit more listenable, I think, than Throbbing Gristle. For the most part. Yeah. Although there is some Coil stuff that's pretty pretty grating. But overall, absolutely. Yeah. I actually enjoy the more listenable Coil stuff. Me too. The more like kind of ambient yep. stuff. I like that a lot. They have some stuff that sounds like uh, Tangerine Dream sort of. Too. Yes, like totally. vocals. Totally. And, uh, also, um, you, you probably know this, but uh, the movie Hellraiser... Right, the first one, the actual original. There's yeah. Coil, and I'm I'm probably gonna get the details wrong, but originally there was an idea of having them do the soundtrack of that film, and they actually did a demo of it. And I know that material exists. It does. I know exist. people that own it. Yeah. I have not heard it myself. Though. Oh, I have it. You yeah. have it. Yeah. Oh, you gotta share that with me. We'll see. And, <laughs> but I mean, even even yeah. the, the score that There's, they went with is cool too. The one oh. that actually that they actually used. Oh, Christopher Young. Yeah, yeah. Great. But the, uh, the 
the coil thing is awesome. Um, and it, it's, I think it's even on YouTube, but uh, off topic a little bit here. There is a new version of Hellraiser. It's like a affordable steel box Blu-ray thing. Okay. Uh, I just got it not too long ago. And it's some of the bonus material, there's like a 40, I think it's like a 40 minute documentary about the coil Hellraiser soundtrack. Oh man. Specifically. That's what the document that's what that documentary wow. is. And I think it's on that is on YouTube for free as well. Oh, nice. Okay. It's worth watching for sure. So all you, you know, cheapos, yeah. you cheapskates that don't want to spring for the Hellraiser Blu-ray. I think you can watch the Coil Hellraiser themes documentary on YouTube. That's awesome. But also, you know, just not to be a dick or anything like that. But uh how many goddamn times do I gotta buy this movie, man? I have a VHS tape, I have like, you know, a fucking DVD that you gave me a Blu-ray because you bought the box. Yeah, because I get suckered into buying yeah. the the uh, steel ray, uh, the steel steel box one. So I mean, you know, I have th- the the same movie in three formats at this point. So why not watch it for free, man? I give it. A you know why? You know why? Because it's such an awesome movie. Yeah. You'll you'll buy it a fourth. No, I will eventually. Time. I'll buy it because it'll look cool too. It'll look good on my non-existent bookshelf someday, which I someday <laughs> I'll have a bookshelf where I can put stuff on. I will say. That it was it was affordable for a steel box Blu-ray with all the extra shit that's on there. It was affordable. It wasn't one of those fifty sixty dollar jobs, but it was worth it just for that coil documentary that's on there. It's pretty cool the story of that. Are you are you familiar with Fetus at all? I mean, how how deep are you into the catalog at all? Not not deep at all. Yeah, it's an interesting guy. He he uh, hails from Melbourne, so he's an Australian, and. The funny thing about it is, like, my old band in back in, like, 1996 or 1995, we toured Europe with Fetus, and it was uh, Fetus and Bark Market. Do you remember them? Yeah, man. Yeah. I actually like Bark Market a lot. Yeah, they're great. Oh. And uh, what's... Uh, Dave Sardi. Dave Sardi, yeah, the main man. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was a crazy tour. It was Bark Market was in a van... And we were on a nightliner with Fetus. And were you guys uh, main support, or were you the no, first we were of three? Openers. We were first okay. of three. Yeah, there's no way we're going to go on it. I mean, Bark Market was on like American records, so definitely. Yeah, I figured that. Right. But it, and Fetus was on like Atlantic or something, like, and there was like two major labels. So you were you were all right. So you were on a bus. Yeah. With Fetus. Right. So did you get to know? Yeah, Jim. I Bell? mean, I'm not going to say that I I'm like buddies with Jim Thurwell, but. You know, we spent time together, like a month or so, of like to being on the same vehicle traveling across Europe. Wasn't there also, correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't there also a, a sliver in time when it was possible that you were going to do a little fill-in guitar Well, work? let me explain that. Okay. The, um, the band was uh, featured two guys from this band called the Morning Glories, which were like, you know, they were, they were like uh, around, they were like a, a touring indie band from New York City based band. The Morning Glories. Yeah. Sounds like a skinhead band. <laughs> but they're like, uh, you know, I, I don't, I gotta be honest, you, I don't really know what they sound like, but I, I know, I've seen their name associated with other bands that I know what they sound like. For example, like Built to Spill or something okay, like that. Yeah. You know, like kind of like one of those 90s bands. Indie, just yeah. indie rock. Um, so the guitar player, Christian, excellent guitar player. He was the guitar player and the drummer, Kenny, was the drummer. Originally, it was supposed to be Vinny Signorelli. Okay? Oh, okay. And which would have been insane. Yeah. But Unsane ended up going on tour with Slayer. 
So Vinny dropped off of the fetus thing. I remember that tour. Yeah. So anyway, we got that's that's what we got. William Tucker from Revco was the other guitar player. Okay. Okay. Um, bass player was this kid named a kid. This guy <laughs> was this guy a man named Brian Emmerich who. Um, I, I'm not sure what other bands he played in, but he's he's like one of these guys. He's around, you know, industrial dude, you know, like one of these like, you know, industrial guys with like a trench coat and probably has like all this like Nazi stuff at home, you know, like one of those guys. Uh, you know, gothic industrial uh, propaganda magazine, um, you know, apocalypse culture sort of dudes. You know, what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, sure, man. Yeah. Uh, and then the, there was this, they had a guy who played synths, and at times they had a third guitar player. You so you're what, talking like a six-piece band. Yeah, you know what this guy's name was? What? Rock Savage. That's his real name? I, probably not. <laughs> but that's his name, Rock <laughs> Savage, okay? That was the name I was given, okay? And on the paperwork, it was written down as that. You know? <laughs> when they have the, the manifest with everyone that's in the bus and everything. Yeah, yeah, this guy's yeah. Name. And then... uh. So yeah, so that he was he was cool. He was really cool. He was a awesome dude, sound guy, like sound engineer, recording guy, whatever, you know. So anyway, Tucker had some health problems and he had to go home like midway during the tour. And there was like points where Thurwell thought that, you know, they needed to have that second guitar player. And the idea came up that I would actually join them on stage for a couple songs. And but it just didn't work out. Yeah. It's like I tried I you know, try to fuck around learning some of the songs, but it just, not, not on, it was more like, and, and I'm not trying to detract anything or diminish these guys, but it was like, they started off strong. I remember the first show we played, I forgot what, I think, I forgot what country it was in, but it was like, uh, Faust played, Stereo Lab, uh, Fetus, and us. We were on like early. Yeah. And when they played, it was powerful like rock version of like it was the rock band version of fetus you right. know it was i mean and like i said i'd been a fan of his music for years at the time and i just thought like oh yeah cool like who knows what it's going to be like you know but it was like a rock a heavy rock version of the band with yeah. two guitars and all this like synths and noise and all that stuff and then um as time went by they started their performances started slipping and by the middle of the tour, it was like there was really that the organization was like kind of, you know, they were kind of disorganized. And it's just like I think like towards the end, towards the midpoint to the end of the tour, they just were like looking to finish this thing and go home. You know what I mean? Strange dynamic. Usually bands get stronger as the tour goes on, right? Yeah, but you know, it's, uh, you know, there's there's certain factors, I think, that played into their diminishing performances and. And also, it's like it was a band of of hired people too, right? So I think if maybe like their interest in being in the band, if it was like strictly financial, you know, it's just like when you go to your job, you know, yeah. at, by Friday you're ready to fucking go home, right? So if you like take that five day work week and stretch it out over thirty days, by day sixteen you're ready. You're looking to the weekend, man. You're thinking about how Saturday I'm gonna. Fucking go to Home Depot or whatever. You know? <laughs> Dude, by Monday I want to go yeah. home. Never See, mind Friday. That's what I'm saying, you know. And and I guess that's kind of like the testament to being in a band and being actually a contributing member. It's like you have you'll you'll push harder and work harder. But if you're a hired guy who's just there to make money 
even though you you believe in the band, you, you're not gonna right. have the same vigor. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. So that that tour was a trip, man. That was the first time I'd been to Europe. It was like full rock experience on a bus. You know? Yeah, right. Yeah, you know, I'd never really experienced anything like that prior to that. You know, it was, it was really cool though. Yeah. But the I, bus I, thing was like by the, it, you got it got old, man. Honestly, you just. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm still better to be in a van. I, I'm gonna say that no. I actually would rather tour in a van if if it was like properly. If you had, if it wasn't jammed with people, like like whenever. <laughs> since then, I've gotten been to Europe. I don't know how many times. And it's always like two bands and a sprinter. And well, that's not gonna, cool. I was going to say, would you rather have a bus with two bands or a van with two bands in it? I'm going to say a band, a van with one, a sprinter with one band would be sick. And a trailer. And a trailer, right. right. Because I'll tell you why it's not cool being on a bus with the same people sleeping on there and just people like shitting and farting and just being fucking animals. Well, and inevitably, if you're in a if you're in a, a bus with 10 people six of those people are probably going to be dickheads yeah totally and you don't know and back then everyone was like smoking and stuff <laughs> yeah yeah. and yeah. um and then like what a great time to end the other thing too is the driver is only allowed to drive because you have like a union guy driving the bus that's good 10 12 hours or something he's got like some x amount of hours or miles yeah. he can drive like that drill. yeah so that guy would have to stop like, right. they routed the tour based on overnight drives, you know what I mean? So, it was, like, the bus call would be, like, 2 a.m. You'd go into the bus, and the dude would drive all night. Then you'd wake up in a city somewhere. Probably parked outside. Park, some venue. Not even, like, yeah, not even anywhere cool. Like, you're, like, yeah. out miles away from anything, you yeah. know? You can't check anything out. You can't be, like, oh, yeah, let's go out into Amsterdam or whatever. No. He goes from point A to point B. And I remember we had a day off, and we spent the day off in a rest stop outside of Nuremberg because the fucking guy had meet, reached his whatever his quota was. That's so it. I, I stayed there, I hung out at a rest stop on a day off all day. And it was brutal. You know? I mean, back then we had a VHS player <laughs> so we were able to like watch some movies and stuff. But then it was all these like shot movies like some like fucking James Bond films or something. You can only have so many VHS tapes yeah. with you on you tour. You can only have like VHS tapes like that. So <laughs> So that's my that's my that's my Jim Thorwell fetus story in Europe and yeah, but well you did. You, hey, you could say you toured with Jim Thorwell and fetus. Pretty cool. Yeah, I met Liv Tyler in Berlin. Really, she's beautiful, beautiful yeah. lady, big, that. tall, tall, strong woman. Yeah, tall. Hard to believe that guy created that. I know, right? Yeah. Uh, at the same show, I also met Casper um, Bratzman. No, oh, no. Who I would meet again. In the, Boston, uh, Massachusetts, when we played with the Casper Brothers. I was also at that show, and that was my introduction to meeting uh, Mike Hill. That's, we met at that show? Yeah. Briefly. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because you guys opened that show. That's right. But yeah. I, I, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it was... Uh, Engine Kid. Engine Otis, Kid. Engine Kid, and Casper Brotsman. I went to the show the night before, in the same show in Providence, but you guys didn't open. Yeah, we just played the watch. Just, I think it was just Engine Kid and Casper Brotsman. And I was an Engine Kid fan. That's why I went. I never even heard of Casper Brotsman. Oh, yeah, dude. And it blew my fucking head. Yeah. Clean off my shoulders. So I went up the next night, and... Uh, I, I was friendly with Greg from Engine Kid. He got put me on the list, got me in, whatever. And, and you guys opened. That's like, fun This guys are all right. It was. I still have that T-shirt from the show. Do I have a Casper Brotsman long sleeve. 
which I'm going to be probably breaking out soon. You should not not an Australian band, no. a band that any you, Germans. any of you uh, fucks that are listening <laughs> need to check out. Katzbar Bratzman yep. massacre, German, man. and Casper uh, is the son of Peter Bratzman, the renowned uh, avant garde jazz, jazz yeah. sax player. Really dark, heavy. It's hard to explain. Caspar Brosman Massacre, man. It's like sort of industrial, but rock based. It's, it's like, kind of like, yeah, it's like, it's like similar to the way it, Neubauten is, where it's like, it just kind of is what it is. I, I, it's like a really dark King Crimson. Okay, I'll go with That's that. That's the best way I can describe it. Yeah, it's a three piece. Yeah. At times it's very brooding. Yeah. And, um, you know, it has like that, uh, there are certain tracks that have like that swans plotting sort sure, of vibe swan, to yeah, it with yeah. like the bass line, repetitive kind of thing with like Brotsman like going nuts on the guitar. So, so good, dude. So good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know we're getting a little off. Uh, yeah, we're getting Whatever. It's fine. Well, you brought them up. Yeah. Well, you know. They, they excite I, me. For, I for me, <laughs> I can't talk about Jim Thurwell without remembering meeting Casper Brotsman and just being like excited. That I, that I met him and he was a really cool like nice guy was that after you played those shows that show in the US with him no it was before it was that, before yeah. okay yeah alright yeah. cool cause um yeah you know how I, I, ironically I found out about Casper Brodsman because I read an interview with uh, Paige Hamilton of Helmet and they did a record together yeah and he was talking about how the Casper Brodsman massacre was an influence on him and all that sort of stuff. So I was like, oh, Paige Hamilton. It's only... Right. So I found, I went to Newberry Comics because I was living in Boston at the time and like, you know, checked it out. And uh, yeah, it's great. I've been a fan ever since. To those, this day. Those see. records are incredibly hard to find too. Yeah. We're going to yeah. talk about a lot of bands that you can't find their records anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Jim Thorwell. Yeah, New I, I, New need York to, I need to dig in a little more. Yeah, any, yeah anyone out there who finds it interesting... His records are actually pretty easy to find. Most of them are in print. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of them, though. Do you have a... Can you recommend one fetus record? One. Or, or, or Jim Thurwell record. That would be a good starting point. Or one of, one of your favorites. Um, yeah, I'm going to say Nail. is probably a good place to start. Because um, that has... Uh, some of the more well-known songs, and there's also a diversity material on that. Uh, there's a song called Throne of Agony, which is like kind of like a hit, I guess, if he has any. And then there's like that song, and then there's like some other songs that have more of this kind of big band like vibe to it. I would go, I would go there. Uh, and then Gash is probably his best funded record, and that's a really good record. And if you want to listen to kind of soundtracky music, that's like more like a score. I would recommend uh, the Steroid Maximus stuff. It's all like instrumental type of uh, material. One interesting thing about Jim Thurwell, you know, like I asked him, I said, you know, do you play any instruments? For, like, you know, like what's, what's, when you write music, what instrument do you write it on? Right. Write it on keyboards? And he's like, he's like, uh, he's like, I got to be honest with you, Mike. It's like, I, uh, I don't play anything really well. He's like, I look at the entire studio as my instrument. That's cool. And that was like one of the fucking most badass things I ever <laughs> I ever heard anyone say. He's just like, the whole shit is mine. That's like how I express myself. That's cool. through the studio. I think there are a lot of great songwriters that are not great musicians per se. Like, uh, I mean, uh, fuck dude, look at Danzig. Yeah. Right? 
Sure. I mean, he writes. He plays. He writes the guitar parts, though. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah, but he, like he's fucking. I've seen videos of him like playing. And he's like, like playing with like one finger. You yeah. Know, and he's like, but but he, it's the idea he's conveying more so than his his technical ability to do so. You know. That's cool. That's a good answer, though. Yeah. Nah, he's sure. he's. Um, I'd like to run into him again, man. He was cool. You know. I wonder if he feels the same way. Probably not. He probably doesn't know why. Oh yeah, who are you, man? I was like, oh yeah, didn't you deliver groceries to my apartment in Brooklyn once? Um. So where do you want to go next, man? I mean, maybe before we cover, uh, start getting into the more metal shit, should we maybe go down the Cosmic Psychos? Yeah, totally. There's there's a group of bands that were uh, had material on Amphetamine Reptile. Which, yeah. Which, and this kind of, I think, spark, like sparked yeah. this whole discussion. It was the Amrep uh, episode we did. I think so. So there's, what comes to mind immediately, there's three bands. Cosmic Psychos, who most of their catalog is on Amrep. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lubricated Goat, who have a few records on Amrep. And King Snake Roost. Yep. All bands from Australia. King Snake Roost from Adelaide. Lubricated Goats from Sydney. Cosmic Psychos are technically from Melbourne, but as we know from watching that documentary, they're they're farmers. (laughs) Yes, and uh, I would even recommend before listening to the Cosmic Psychos, if you're not familiar with them, go on YouTube once again. It's like a commercial for fucking YouTube. Yeah. They should pay us for this. Um, (laughs) They should be a sponsor. There's a great, great documentary about the band, the Cosmic Psychos called Blokes You Can Trust. <laughs> and it's on YouTube for free, and it's a fucking high quality, but it looks good. Uh, definitely worth watching. Um, it's a pretty incredible documentary. These these guys are fucking farmers. Man. Yeah, basically. You know, like, um, they, they formed in 1977. 77? Uh, 77, not oh. under Cosmic Psychos. They were first called Rancid Spam. Oh, okay. See, I missed that part. And then okay. Spring Plains was the second name. And then they changed 82 and started playing under the Cosmic Psychos. Oh, okay. All right. Um, and they even had a different like, singer-bass player before Ross Knight, who basically is the face of the band. Yeah. You know, but this was early on. He, he Once he took over like the vocals and bass, they kind of shaped what they would become but uh they're like the ultimate like working man's fucking band they're like the the uh the noise rock acds uh acdc yeah i'll say that because <laughs> you they, know what i mean like they have similar qualities to acdc definitely they're just like these dudes these blokes you know what i mean they're fucking blokes and and their songs are about like you know drinking and eating you know mash like yeah, that one song is about eating chips and mash or something like that. It, it's crazy because and they go into this in the documentary. They are you know hard hard living partying, fucking drinking guys, but yet the main guy Ross Knight was a world champion powerlifter. Yeah, a farmer. Yep. He runs and owns his own farm with a vineyard, operating vineyard on it. He's a volunteer fireman. He operates heavy equipment. And has his license to do so, bulldozers and whatnot. Um, he has a, a son with, uh, I believe, cerebral palsy. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Uh, it's all in the documentary. It's, it's all in the documentary. He's in, an incredible guy, <laughs> all around. Yeah, and he makes his. He, 
he makes me feel like like kind of like a bitch, actually. You know what I mean? <laughs> He's I, just like, yeah, like, this guy could probably drink like, you know, 19 cans of Fosters and mm-hmm. then get up and you know, go powerlifting. <laughs> you know, like 500 pounds. Yeah, I have like three reps. beers now and I have a hangover for yeah. like two days, you know. I'm like, I can't do anything. Like, yeah. Yeah, uh, these guys are men. Yeah, they're, they're, that's they're well men. put. Cosmic yeah. Psychos are fucking men. You know what? That's why I like them. Yep. It's okay. It's okay to you know say that, contrary to popular belief. Oh, wait. Yeah, that's that's a whole other. Um, but you know, if they were women, I'd like them too. But <laughs> they're men. You know, uh, they're great. I mean, sonically. What do you, I mean, what, what's your take on them sonically? Yeah, like, it's pretty. It's pretty bare bones. Yeah, it's like no frills punk music about relatable subjects you know like i mean i don't know yeah. if i could relate to it so much but it's like it's like salt of the earth bare bones like raw punk you know with like a uh an optimistic viewpoint really <laughs> like their songs are not they're not particularly dark well, yeah that's it you know that's an interesting way like to in the same that. way like acdc songs are not really dark you know what i mean no they're not dark I mean, they're, they're about badass shit they're tough they're, they're not tough. dark and I would say Cosmic Psychos, they operate in that same space. And once again, it's got that like fuzzed out, heavy bass, a lot of wah on the yeah, guitar. Wah, yep. You know, a little bit of Stooges. And I mean, you can hear all the bands that formed in Seattle definitely borrowing Cosmic Psychos. And yeah. I think they even touch on they that. talk about it. The money uh, and all these bands. Yeah, man. Uh, I think a lot of uh, those bands lifted some ideas and some sonic ideas from uh, Cosmic Psychos. Because um, the really interesting about Mud Honey is like prior to being Mud Honey, there was a band called uh, Green River, which yes. had guys that went on to be a Mother Love Bone slash Pearl Jam. Yeah. And Steve Turner and Mark Arm from, from Mud Honey were in that band too. And they were basically a Stooges, Aerosmith. <laughs> like, if you listen to, I mean, if someone asked me, like, describe them, it's like, it's almost like Aerosmith and the Stooges. Like, the riffs in there are, like... Which perfectly describes, though, like, Mud Honey and, uh... And Mother Love Bone. Mother Love Bone, yeah. It's like, because Mother Love Bone was very glam, and Mud, and Mud Honey was just, like, not very Yeah, glam. it's like, you can see the real... There's almost, like, this conflict, and if you listen to <laughs> yeah. the two... They have, like, a, a Rehab Doll, Dry as a Bone... And uh, come on down like an EP. Yeah, Mud Honey, to, uh, Green River does, and you can you can almost sense this conflict in the band because there's like guys like Stone Gossard who probably wear an eyeliner and like ripping these like Joe Perry solos and stuff, and then you got Mark Arm who is probably more punk than those guys. Listen to the Black Flag. Yeah, more into like Black Flag and like Iggy and that kind of thing, you know, and they just probably were dudes that. They just, who else, you know, all right, cool, we're going to do a band. Let's do this band. And right, one like, guy's into this, you know. Some of the bands I was in in high school, man. Yeah. I grew up in a fucking tiny-ass town. Like, you got to take who you can get. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, one dude probably had a mustache at some point, you know. Oh, definitely. It's like sick of it all, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like the original bass player, Rich, had a mustache and long hair. Yeah, I love, yeah, I love Craig Satari, man, but still, I prefer sick of it all with, with Rich on bass. <laughs> just my personal preference, Yeah. You can mix it up a little. Um, yeah, Cosmic Psychos, man. Watch the documentary. Check out all their music's awesome. You know, and, and just like kind of like in Motorhead, ACDC way, 
they're not you're not going to get any surprises. No, you know what to expect for right. sure. Right, and it's pretty good. And uh, you know there was a Ross Knight, the main guy. He had a pretty amazing quote from the documentary. Something along the lines of, when the documentary opens, he's like, you know, here we are, three ugly blokes touring the world, eating at great restaurants, meeting famous people. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I'm a fucking farmer. <laughs> so that was brilliant, you know. So their whole story is pretty amazing. Yeah. And just, just a solid fucking band. Probably one of my favorite Amrap bands, period, is Lubricated Goat, though. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to They're say? like the stars of the uh, Color of Noise documentary. Oh, yeah. That's, that, they were great Stu Spasm. Yeah, Stu Spasm is like... I mean, the guy just seems like the, the uh, epitome of a fucking bastard. Yeah. Brilliant. Genius, but yeah. incredibly... I don't want to hang out with him or even know him, really. You know what I mean? <laughs> Actually, um, speaking of the shadow of Nick Cave, you know, I think I would say that that sure. lubricated goat is exists within the shadow of the birthday party for sure. Yeah, you know, there's absolutely, like, you know, there's definite. Um, I mean, I think they even go on record to say that they're a huge influence on them. I'm surprised actually at that because I would figure that that uh, Stu would be like, I never fucking heard of the birthday party, you know, yeah. something like that. That'd be like his style. I mean, it would be like saying that you never heard of Elvis or something <laughs> like that in the United States, <laughs> you know. But, uh, yeah, but Lubricated Goat were one of those bands, when I first heard them, I didn't like them at all. I was like, what you know this? what? Neither did I. Yeah. It's just like, this This is garbage. But, it's one of those things that cre- crept up on me and as maybe as I got more sophisticated in the kind of music I listened to, I started appreciating what their brand of, of punk rock music was. Which is interesting, though, because their music is not sophisticated. No. It's a lot like the Cosmic Psychos. Yep. It's bare bones, loud rock and roll. But I think that... With where, punk attitude. Yeah, but where, where maybe the, um, the music itself is raw, I think the concept of what they're doing is a little bit more com- like complicated. Sure, know? yeah. Okay. Like the lyrics, the image... You know, the sort of sense of humor they have about everything, the dark humor. Yeah. I think you, you had to have a little bit more of a worldly outlook to appreciate that aspect of the band than just being like into like Helmet or something like that. You know I mean? <laughs> right, right, right. Because that's kind of like how, you know, when I first got into all the AMREP stuff, it was through bands like Helmet, and, you know, and, and uh, you know, well, maybe they were kind of my gateway into that world. Yeah. And then I discovered, you know, Surgery and the Cows and right. um, Lubricated Goat. You know, and all these other bands, Hammerhead, all that sort of stuff. And, um, but actually the track that's on the Dope Guns and fucking compilation, Bad Times. Yeah. That's like. That's probably their best song. That's one of their best songs yeah, in my opinion. for sure. You know? For sure. Yeah, but they, they still are technically um, active. They are. Yeah, they have a current lineup. It's like a th- down to a three piece. And oh. they're based in Brooklyn. Based in Brooklyn? Yes. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, they've actually been. That's interesting. Uh, they've actually, I think Stu Spasm has been living in New York since the '90s, late '90s, maybe. Really? Doesn't he talk a ton of shit yeah. about the states? Like, yeah, well, you know how people's, you know, like so a lot of people talk shit, and they're like, they're like, you know, the biggest perpetrators of that. Yeah, because they have that record, forces you don't understand, which Vinnie Signorelli from Unsane plays drums on that. I didn't know that. Yeah. But I mean, if you really want to get into Lubricated Goat, and don't be scared by the name. I know it's a very intimidating, uneasy, uncomfortable name. But the, the Am, AMREP years are the best. That's, you know, 
Paddock of Love, Psychedelic Atessin, plays the Devil's Music, which is a great title for a band. Yeah. <laughs> a great title for an album. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Plays the Devil's Music. <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, that's a must a must check out in my opinion out of any of these bands. I mean, you probably heard of Nick, Nick Cave, obviously, but Lubricated Goat. If you haven't heard of them, go to YouTube or whatever you listen to music and try to find something by them to listen to. And then the third, the third band from Australia that's on Amrip is a band called King King Snake Roost. I'm the least familiar with this band. I mean, you know, they're um, I I own some of their records. I, I'm not a they're not a go to band of mine, but the fact that they were on uh, Amphetamine Reptile elevates them a little bit more because I've always considered that label to be very well curated the kind of music that they put out you get three points out of ten just for existing uh, yeah. on, that, on Tom's radar yeah exactly <laughs> you know I mean you know by, by the if you don't have the Dope Guns and Fucking uh, series the bible that's yeah, what you need that's what you should really that's I mean this is beckoning back to our yeah. last episode but like the um, you can go on iTunes and get it for like I think fifteen bucks or something, and it's all the all the singles that are on there. And you can get the CD, uh, double CD, I believe, yeah. and the triple twelve inch. It's all still in print. It's all in print. Totally that, worth getting. And that's where some of the the cool like King Snake Root stuff is on that, you know. So, but yeah, they're worth checking out too. Yeah. Take a little time, you know. Yeah. 30, 40 hours next week and just <laughs> listen to that. It's not a big deal, man. Yeah, just, you know, take a couple of days off from work. <laughs> Probably one of the uh, OG Australian rock bands that we have to mention is Rose Tattoo from Sydney. Yeah, big fan. Formed in 1976 by Angry Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great name. Yeah, well, he's got the look. He looks angry. He looks sure. like yeah, he looks like he's fucking angry. Uh, I think those first three records, uh, I believe the first one's self-titled, or it's self-titled or Rock and Roll Outlaw. I can't remember. And then Assault and Battery. Um, those three records are perfect fucking rock records, man. They're so good. And heavily influenced by ACDC, without a doubt, which is not a problem because yeah. most rock bands are. It's like ACDC with slide guitar. Well, there's a lot of slide guitar. There's a lot of slide guitar. Of slide guitar. But, but, not, cool. but, yeah, but it's not like, it's not always like slow, what you would like, Almond Brothers slide guitar. It's like more rock. Yeah. Yeah. It's aggressive. Yeah, I like, I like Rose Tattoo, man. That, uh, that's a band I got into over the last few years. Um, but I really like those three, first three records a lot. Now, the interesting thing about them is the bands that actually cover their music. Yeah, it's uh, Guns N' Roses cover of the song "Nice Boys" yep. on their uh, that that pseudo live record they did. Yeah, and L.A. Guns cover "Rock and Roll Outlaw." I did not know that. Yeah, I think the singer from L.A. Guns might be Australian. Really? Yeah, I don't know. I made that up. I'm half certain I said that. That might not even be true. I don't know. <laughs> I know he's not American. That guy, he's got some. I know he's not American. He's got a funny accent. So, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where he's from. Maybe he's from England. Maybe he's from Australia. Who the fuck knows? I'll have to do my research on LA guns. That's like, I just made it. The guy's probably from like Ohio or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> he's from Sandusky, Ohio. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, someone else covers a Rose Tattoo song too and I'm going blank as to who it is. 
But I definitely the Guns N' Roses cover is far far more popular than any Rose Tattoo song ever was in America. I don't think anyone cared about them in America. I don't think they ever got airplay in America. No, I, it's, they, I hope that they get. Uh, you know, they are still functioning as well. Rose Tattoo is. Yep. Yeah, they play all the time. Wow. Yeah, not over here. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny, man. I don't know why I thought someone in that did, like someone in the band died or something. They may be. I mean, I don't know who's left in the band. I know uh, Angry. Still fronting. Still angry. Yeah, (laughs) he's still angry. He's still fronting the band. uh, I think I follow them on Instagram. It's always like. Oh man, I should I should join that. It's always like photos of them playing like these festivals and shit. You know, so. I'd go see him. Fuck it. Oh yeah, maybe they'll play, in, you know, Danbury or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I've had we, yeah. we've both had some good experiences recently seeing, you know, bands that could easily be washed up but are not, like you know, Saxon. Oh, dude, I know Saxon, you touched on this on your solo. Oh yeah, man, Saxon were like awesome, great. Remember, the record, the new record's great. Yeah, you know, I I got I have to actually dig deeper into the new album, but yeah, it's it they were they were. You know, it's funny. I was excited when I found out they were on the tour, yeah. right? But then, like, I was like, man, you know, this could be great or it could totally be bad. Or, and they yeah. were great, I thought. I did too, man. Yeah, I thought I, they were awesome. Especially, you know, especially following that. Yeah. Well. We what was that band? Blacks. I don't want to talk about that because it's yeah. got someone I have a deep respect yeah, for. Yeah, I know. Me band. too. It's sad. It's yeah. a sad day. But the uh, the thing is, oftentimes, though, when you go see these shows, you know, the opening bands or the support, direct support, you're like, kind of like, you know, all right, cool, this is cool, maybe they're playing a little too long. But I, Saxon... They could have played longer. Yeah, their set came and went, like, so quickly. Yeah. And I was like, wow, I could have gone for a couple more songs. Yeah, yeah, they crushed it, man. They were great. Go see Saxon. You know, I'm hoping that they come back and they do a small, like, a club tour or something like well, that. Well, they, they just did that, before, like... Four months before this tour, oh, they played man. in Hartford, in anyway. in Worcester, where we were just at the Palladium. Oh, yeah, the Palladium. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave that one alone for uh, now. That's yeah. another episode. Western Mass. We could do three. Actually, let me ask you a question about Worcester, okay? Do you uh, consider Worcester to be part of Western Mass? I don't See, I'm not a New England guy, so I don't... I'm not... I don't want to offend anyone uh, by saying I, Western I Mass. I think people... Would would say, uh, you shouldn't care about offending people from New England. Um, I think people would say Worcester is the gateway to Western Mass. I think that's where, even though if you look at a map, Worcester's pretty far east. Okay. You know, I think Western yeah. Mass is considered Worcester and anything west of Worcester, which All is right. three quarters of Massachusetts. Yeah. See, I was unclear about that. Yeah, you know, all these uppity fucks in Boston, you know, they yeah. just they want to get rid of the, that western side so bad, you know. Well, they're they they could be two different states, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, the that's vibe of the Western Mass is way different than yeah. the vibe on the eastern part of the state, and I would say Worcester probably fits in more with like the post-industrial shitholes of fucking yes. Massachusetts, like but, Lowell and, you know. Like, see, that's where Massachusetts starts to fucking eat itself. Okay. okay. They're, they're not real here because if New Bedford okay. and Fall River are definitely... South, they're South Shore towns, but, right? But they're, yeah, they're Eastern. They're East as far as, they're on the water. They're as far yeah. East as you can go. They're just, they're just South of Boston. Right. But those, I mean, those towns are fucking yeah. a trip, man. Oh, yeah. You know, those towns should be over by Worcester, but they're not. 
You know, they're down by the Cape. Well, you know, the Boston, the eastern coast of Massachusetts is no picnic, man. I mean, there's like Lawrence is another ghetto, you know, like area. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. north. You know, like Lowell's not so great, you know. Brockton. I mean, I'm talking shit about all these towns, but it's like... I mean, I'm sorry if anyone out there yeah, is from yeah. those we're, we're sitting in Connecticut talking <laughs> shit about other places. <laughs> <laughs> like we're in this cultural hub. Like, yeah. But uh, to answer your question, I do believe the uh, Worcester is the gateway to Western Mass. So Worcester is like Turkey in, in, like, in the Mediterranean, where like you have like the Mediterranean, which is the European part, and the Turkey is kind of the gateway to the Middle East. That's fair to say. Yeah, yeah so like Tur- it's like yeah. Turkey is like one of those like gateway countries in my opinion yeah you know? sure okay uh, yeah what's there we could do a whole uh two two or three hours just on our experience last week no no <laughs> no no not that uh, i don't know how we got on that topic uh we were just talking about uh saxon and you know right oh they yeah so they played the palladium the headline there yeah i wish i went now after seeing them with Priest, I wish I could see Well, didn't they play with like UFO or something like that? Yeah, that whole tour was wow. Saxon and UFO. See, I got to keep my eyes open for these types of tours because I've been finding out that these bands still crush. Live. You need to start buying the newspaper. The newspaper? What the hell is that? <laughs> so they advertise this kind of show. Really? Yeah. Not on the internet? Not on like my phone? There's no app I can get <laughs> that tells me when Saxon's playing in a nearby town? No. I, I'll just text you. Um, so the last thing I'm thinking we should probably cover is metal. Actually, before we do that, I want to talk about a band called the Hoodoo Gurus. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Which is, um, someone in, in, uh, <laughs> in the Beast of Bourbon was also in the Hoodoo Gurus. And that, I found that interesting because, um, you know, it's funny that I, they're, the Hoodoo Gurus are one of those bands that they, they probably still exist on some level, you know. They were not a punk band. They were not remotely punk. But all the, when I was in high school, the kids that were into punk music told me about this band, the Hoodoo Gurus. Now, what year was this? This is in the 80s, like 80, let's say 85. So this was pre-Nirvana. Oh, yeah, yeah. This okay. is like in the 80s. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. So there were these two... This guy, John Ritchie, and this guy, Ken Smart, who I grew up with, they were a year, year older than me, and they knew about music. They were both excellent players. They had a band that, you know, I always looked up to them as far as, like, there was, like, three guys in my high school, John Ritchie, Mike Katz, and Ken Smart, and they were, like, the guys who knew what was up. And they knew about punk music, and they were into, you know, before they were into punk, they were into metal, and they knew they, they could shred solos and all this sort of stuff. And So anyway, they had a band, and that was all covers, and two of the songs they did were Hoodoo Gurus songs. And most of their set was, was punk. Like, their whole thing was like, all right, we're punks. You know, we're in punk music now. And I don't know how, like, somehow the Hoodoo Gurus leached into their, their catalog. Yeah, how did like three guys in the eighties from Carmel, New York? Well, you gotta remember Trash American style is close by. So that you know, that's like that the mecca for things in the eighties. I could see I could see Malcolm like trying to But the, the, the ironic trying to thing, sell though, some of that. To yeah, some... but they were on a major label though. Oh, all right, maybe. All right, not. so all right, this band that these my friends had, they were doing covers by like uh, you know, 
like Flipper and, and uh, X was a big band that they covered. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. Like punk music. Yeah. And then somehow they did two Hootie Gurus cover, covers. And I was like, okay, you know, I liked X a lot. That was a band I still to this day love X. Yeah, me too. But yeah, there's a blues thing going on. There's like a little bit of this rockabilly thing maybe. But I don't know. So they had one record out in the, in called Stone Age Romeos. And that was like the record that had anything that you could, you could say was like quote unquote punk was on that record. Okay. Then they put out another record after that called Mars Needs Guitars. And that was just kind of like, eh, at that point, they should have just broke up in my opinion. But so when I went to college in Boston, there was a radio station, it probably still is, called WFNX. And they had like, that was like alternative, you know, college, whatever. You know what I'm saying? There was that yeah. stuff, like the Pixies and Jane's Addiction was on there. And the Hoodoo Gurus would be on that radio station. Like in regular rotation? Yeah, like it would be like the left of center. Like, you know, a lot of you guys were born in the 80s, so you don't even really have a full understanding of what I'm talking about. But like the... Um, you know, there was like big rock radio that would play like Aerosmith and Sabbath and whatever, you know, Bruce Springsteen. And then there was like FNX type stuff, which was on a major dial. And, but they were, they were kind of left of center. Like for example, WFNX had like a local show where they play like local bands. Yeah, yeah. But it was still like a big radio station. Right, they still right. play all the big, like in midnight, the 80s. Uh, Friday night, they're going to play an hour like local bands. Or like, yeah, midnight or something, yeah. you know, or 11. Yeah. And then there was like, but then in the 80s, they kind of fooled you into thinking that you were really listening to some deep underground stuff because they would play stuff like, you know, um, the Pixies or they would play like Jane's Addiction or they would play... Chili Peppers. The Chili Peppers, right. Yeah, stuff that was like punk based, but not really part of that. Like they right. were still like eating deli trays and traveling around on a bus. Yeah. So my feeling was like the Hoodoo Gurus were like one of those bands. And I don't, I don't have a lot of intel about them. I, have a, I don't have a feel for where they fit into the, the canon of that style of music really. But were you into that band? You know what? I, I have that record and I have Mars Needs Guitars. And I can't, I listen back to it and I'm like, man, this sucks. You know what I mean? It's not that good. I've never heard of it. I don't think I've ever heard it. I gotta say, Mars Needs Guitars is one of the worst fucking album titles I've ever heard in my life. Well, you know, it's, it's horrible. At that point, they probably were just like, okay, we got to make another record. Like, it took us like six years to write um, Stone Age Romeos. Now we only have two. Right. So let's throw together some tracks. And they had one song that I remember they had a music video for. You know what I mean? And it was on like, you know, 120 minutes or some shit. You know, it's yeah. all right. That's yeah. it. There are, there are one of those 120 bands? minutes. And that's once again. This is probably meaningless to most of you kids out there. But yeah, back, you might want to explain 120 minutes. Back in the 60s when I was... <laughs> there was a thing called MTV. And they had different shows where they played music videos. And there was one called 120 Minutes that had that, that little chick with the glasses. was the Kennedy. Kennedy, yeah. Right? She was the VJ. They played all this kind of alternative college rock stuff. And that's where Hoodoo Gurus fit. I think it was Sunday nights from 10 to... One or ten to twelve or something like that. I yeah, think, I think, and that's where this band fits in. They're not some like <laughs> intense, you know, like deep underground, like pushing the new ground or anything. They they were not part of that world. 
Well, they must mean something to you because you know spend some time on them. So well, the the Mars needs guitar re- records is no good, but <laughs> Stone Age Romeos, it's like, um, the songs are pretty cool. I think at the time, because at, you know you're young and you're kind of like searching, it might have seemed a little bit more important than it really was. You know, but there's a couple of good songs on that record, but it's like not that it's not something that I would carry with me yeah. deep in my heart. You know what I mean? Sure. But um, I mean it's it's barely worth mentioning, but I feel like I have to because <laughs> someone in this band was in B Suburban, and that adds right. That colors my perception of them because Beast Suburban are to me a great band. Right, right. That's so, fair. So that that's why they're they're on this list. So I mean, yeah. If you want to check anything out by them, there's um, there's a song called Kamikaze Pilot, which is cool. Which I'm probably gonna put I put that on our list here. Our All playlist. Right, cool. uh, a song called Death Ship, which that's probably my favorite song on the record. And then there's like um, you know, the Bubblegum song called I Want You Back, which is like. <laughs> You know, it's like what's some, that about? Yeah, you know, some guy loses his girlfriend, he wants her back, man. You know, like <laughs> one of those tracks. But uh, but yeah, it's like, all right, were, were you ever a replacements fan? Never, really, no. Oh, and I'm not saying that like, oh, okay. I, I just totally not familiar with the replacements. Okay, well, I I love the early stuff with Bob Stinson. And, you know, or even like uh, Please to Meet Me, which didn't have Bob Stinson on it. Everything up to that record, I think, is great. But then they made Please to Meet Me, okay? Now, Hoodoo Gurus are like Please to Meet Me, like that era of the band, where it's like, you know, we got some a budget to make a record. We want to be this thing, but we're not really that thing. Right. You know what I'm trying to say. Right. That's yeah, kind of yeah. how I feel about the Hoodoo Gurus, so. Anyway, I might be. I know a lot of bands who've done that. I might be totally out of line about that, but that's how I feel about it. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Yeah, it's okay. That's it's how a, you feel it's about an opinion. it. That's right. Okay, it's an uh, opinion-based show here. So let's get into the metal, the metal portion of our show. <laughs> it always comes back. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know where you want to start. I mean, well, well, you, why don't you pick a band? Okay, just go from there. I'm going to start with a band called King Parrot. Are you familiar with them? A newer band. Uh, yeah, 210, 20, 2010. You know, they're from Melbourne. They're like a grind band. It's like it's got one dude, uh, Matt Rizzo, played in uh, Blood Duster, a band. Oh, yeah, sure yeah, sure, with. sure. So like, I did not know there was a connection between the two bands. Yeah. Both bands are on Relapse, uh, correct? King Parrot is on, they have they a record don't... on Candlelight, they have a record on Housecore, and they have another record on a different label called oh, EVP. Oh, they're not on Relapse? I no. thought they put out a record on Relapse. One thing notable about them is in 2015, they were nominated for Best New Band on the Metal Hammer Golden Gods Awards. Really? Yeah, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. But... Um, they're a, they're a band that I really like. Uh, you know, very salt of the earth. They have dark humor, tongue-in-cheek type of lyrics. They play like this kind of, uh, you know, pretty brutal grindcore style. You know, very meat and potatoes. Right. Definitely a good band I enjoy. I, I thought they were more of a stoner band. If you thought that... 
I'm wrong. You'd be incorrect. <laughs> I'd be wrong. Yeah. No, they're 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 grind band. All right, I have to check. Yeah, that out. no, they're good. I maybe thought that because I believe they toured with Weezy here. They might have. They might have. I believe they did. I know the last time they were in the states was uh, was on that Super Joint um, Devil Driver tour. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they've been over a few times. Have now. you seen them, King Parrot? Have you seen I haven't them? seen them live. No, but they've toured with. Uh, my, our good friends, uh, the the now dis, the now disbanded Fatnet Viscar, did oh, a tour yeah. with them, and uh, and I, I miss them. Though. I didn't see them play. I didn't see that tour. So, but their music is good. Through through them, I actually became familiar with uh, King Parrot. That's why you know, solid band. You know, Bloodduster's a sick band too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Death grind know. kind of vibe. Yeah, that might not. Um. So, I want to mention uh, Disembowelment. Hell yeah. I think it's a super, super underrated, important band. And to a lot of people, they pretty much kind of spearheaded the uh, funeral doom sound and movement. Um, Very limited output. They had to have an EP and have a full length. They're together from... uh, 89 and 93, never performed live. Ever. It's pretty interesting. They, although, at Maryland Death Fest a couple of years ago, the newer version of Disembowelment called Inverlock mm, okay. um, performed, and then they did some Disembowelment songs, like the next day or something. But the original Disembowelment never performed live. Um, I, I stumbled on their record... Probably, you know, I don't know, late, late 80s, early 90s, and uh, I wasn't really listening to anything like that at the time. And it was just kind of blew my mind. And I was more into, like, hardcore. Yeah. Then, but I was starting to dip my toe in the earache pool. Sure. And, uh, you know, and uh, I was kind of just blown away. I never heard anything like it at the time. And it stuck with me. And uh, I'm still, still a big fan all these years, man, after. Yeah, I mean, there really probably wasn't anything like that at the time, really. I mean, the only... I mean, the only doom type stuff I knew from the, it was uh, it was cathedral, cathedral. But that was like not like this at all really no I mean I guess in some ways some of the early My Dying Bride stuff but they weren't because uh, Disembowelment also had some like death metal yeah. stuff it wasn't all dirgy and slow like most funeral doom is but that's what most of it was but then they throw like some brutal death metal right. in there or like a grindcore part or something you know so you know really original band that probably not a lot of relapse did reissue all that stuff a couple years ago but i think it's all out of print and maybe you can get the cd they did like a discography cd that had the ep the full length and then some like demos and shit on it that's kind of cool um so then two of those guys in 2011 formed band inverlock which is very similar to disembowelment just a, a modern version of disembowelment they also have an EP and a full length, both on Relapse, that are awesome. Highly recommended. I don't think anyone gives a fuck about them. <laughs> they should, because it's good shit. Yeah. Um, two of the members also, after Disembowelment split, went on to form a band called Trial of the Bow. You told me about them, and I don't. I I I might remember that that name, but I can't quite form what it is. Well, back in the late 90s, as you, when Relapse started to release 
portion of their label where they're put out more like ambient noise stuff like that they released the record by trial of the bow and uh i was living in boston at the time at the hydrahead house playing in isis and relapse would just send us boxes of like promos of, of free shit pretty sweet yeah and one box was just full of release releases so uh me and Jeff every night would just throw all these different like ambient noise records in the CD player, and like that was one that just ended up being in there like night after night after night after night. It's uh, they only have two. They have an EP and they have a full length under the Trial of Bow name. I think it's on Apple Music. It's on YouTube. Whatever. Okay. Totally different. Uh, not quite. It's ambient, but this instrumentation beyond like keys, electronics, is violins and different instruments. Uh, I'm really fond of it. I think it's a great record. Trial of the Bow. No one cares about it, I'm sure. <laughs> but it's definitely cool uh, that the guys, you know, in these brutal bands go on to form and play this beautiful music. It's, it shows a cool dynamic of the guys in the band are great players uh, and into cool shit. So, yeah, both those bands, Disembalm and Inverloch, uh, from Australia, I think are pretty awesome overlooked bands that people should check out for sure going with the relapse theme there's that band halo yes which they have a few like few releases out and they're they kind of very like but the one that really comes to mind for me is uh body of light yeah from great, 2003 great record and that's like you know like a distorted vocals like evil noise with like a sort of uh you know uh Program drums, kind of thing. I always get a Godflesh. Yeah, that very Godflesh. Godflesh Swans, early yeah. Swans, kind of thing. Yeah, and um, they're definitely worth checking out. Like, I wonder if Relapse keeps those records in print. I doubt it. Yeah, probably not. Right? I doubt it. What about CDs? Yeah, maybe, no. maybe. But doubt, it's probably. On I, I imagine it's on iTunes though. I would think so. Yeah. Um, it's so weird to think about this stuff like that. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, yeah, I gotta, well, I gotta dig those Halo records out. I haven't listened to that stuff in a while. Um, they they came to the states once, and do you remember what that the scenario with them coming to the states? Uh, I remember they came to the states, and wasn't it part of like one of those relapse package tours or something like that? It was supposed to be the Godflesh U.S. tour for Hymns. And at the last second, Godflesh pulled the plug on it. There's supposed to be Godflesh high on fire, Halo. Mm-hmm. And at the last second, Godflesh pulled the plug on the I tour. But Halo ended up, I don't know if they were, may, they may have been already here. Oh, wow. Because I know. They found out the tour got canceled. Right. That's terrible, um, man. So I know, uh, you know, they, they, I think they flew into Philly because Relapse is based in Philly. And they were kind of hanging around there. And they ended up. Uh, Staying with a friend of mine who had like a, a kind of makeshift recording studio in his basement. And they stayed there for like three days and just recorded a bunch of material in his basement uh, that I don't think has ever been released. Wow. And I've never heard it and I don't even know if he has a copy of it. I'll have to ask him. But uh, yeah, because Cable was supposed to play uh, an off, I think it was an off day of the Godflesh thing. It was like with Halo. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe even at O'Brien's. Oh, wow. The place Damn. that. We just played not too long ago. Um, it never happened. They ended up just hanging around at the Confilia and going back home. I fucking hate that place, man. What? O'Brien's. Yeah, I do too. I don't like that place. Yeah. 
It's a fucking like clubhouse. It's thing. no good. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like it either. <laughs> With you. I knew it. Uh, yeah, Halo, cool band for sure. Uh, what about the band Stryborg? You ever hear them? They're another good Australian one. Uh, oh, they're like a black metal ambient industrial, you know, like one of those yeah. one man operations. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I knew about them. I, uh, Southern Lord reissued or put out some of their stuff years back, but uh, they're also part of that documentary, that mini doc, oh, One yeah. Man Metal, mm-hmm. with uh, Leviathan, Zaster, Destroyboard. Right. Uh, pretty, that's, that's a cool watch. Yeah, sure. definitely, man. Definitely, I should. I think I only watched like one part of that because it's on, it's online in several parts. I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's definitely cool. Uh, the footage of him is is weird. He's just like in this house, like by himself. I think he has a wife, maybe even some kids or whatever. But like, he's in like just this rural like neighborhood, Tasmania. <laughs> yes, like he's in Tasmania, which is like an island. I'm just gonna be lying if I said I knew. I think it's a. I think Tasmania is actually an island south okay. of uh, Australia. Um, but I could be wrong too. I think so though. But uh, yeah, and it's like. They asked him at one point, like, uh, hey, do any of you, like, your neighbors or whatever know, you know, what you do? And he's like, no. Like, you'd be in some deep fucking shit if they seen him in, like, corpse paint or, like, you know, screaming. Wow. Uh, it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty interesting, man. Hmm. Pretty much find out all you need to know about Stryborg by watching that little uh, mini doc. That's pretty cool. He's got a ton of stuff out. Yes. You know, like, a lot of those one-man operations, they just, just like... Keep- Turn out, man. Just keep pumping out material. Of course, there's Portal slash Impetuous Ritual. Can't forget them. They're like yeah, that's like the metal band from down there. Uh, Portal is easily one of my favorite newer metal bands, and newer being they've been around probably what ten years now. No, longer. They started in 1994. When was the first record released? Oh yeah, the re- much much later, but right. that's, they've been in existence for like over twenty years though, apparently. All right. So, but um, I'll still say they're one of my. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's because they just they just really made it into like maybe ten years ago. Yeah, they, know, if that. That's when they started getting on my radar. Yeah, maybe like ten sure. years ago. Newly really uh, discovered bands. Yeah, and I don't even know how to uh, properly describe Portal. It's. Uh, Wall of noise, for sure. Death metal, black metal, uh, going on, but like, trans kind of transcends those descriptions. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, How would you describe have, Portal? Just like you, just but with but like a completely unique type of band though, with their own very specific uh, vision. The atmosphere on those records is. It's more about that than the playing. Yes. Even though those guys are like really good players, like you can when you see them live, they're like shredding, you know. But it's oh, like, right, right, right. But the production on the records are—it's almost intentionally obscuring like what they're actually doing. You know what I mean? Right. Um, There's an interview I was reading recently with um, the curator, as he likes to be called, the front man, and uh, the interviewer asked him, like, you know, are you guys even really playing songs? Like, he was very offended by that. Like they, they they spend a lot of time crafting these yeah you know and like when I, when I listen to a portal song you know I've been playing bass 
slash a little bit of guitar for a pretty, pretty decent amount of time sure. in my life. If I had to sit down and like learn a Portal song, I'm not sure I could do it. No, honestly, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't. As awesome as it is, it's 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 almost like uh, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, man. It's and Impetuous Rituals the same way. Yeah, they're a little bit more like like brutal. Like it's more you can you can make out more what they're doing in Impetuous Ritual. I feel. Yeah, yeah. There's like some more so than Portal. And, yeah, um, and then Portals. Have you seen Portal? I have not seen them live, but like they're uh, the costumes and the yeah. stage show, uh-huh. and, uh, all that is is pretty, very intense. Yeah, pretty pretty fucking original, man, and, and pretty cool. Um, the same interview I was reading that the the costumes, some of the ideas come from early uh, Lon Chaney. Song. Lon Chaney's, yeah. wow. I was thinking like Lovecraft. Or something. Well. Someone mentioned lyrical content in Lovecraft in the same sentence. And once again, the curator did not enjoy that. And he said early on, yes, there was some Lovecraft. Oh, well, fucking, what do you want? Going on, but like as time has gone on, they uh, they don't they don't like that association for some reason. Oh, that guy sounds like a fucking jerk. They seem, you know, they get a lot of problems, these guys, you know. But uh, probably, have you seen the video for Curtain? Yes. That's uh, produced by my friend Zev Dean. Oh, Zev did that? Yeah. That's that's insane. It's it's like, (laughs) that's why I'm talking about like, you know, uh, it's just not whatever. That's really uncomfortably scary that, that, like when I watch that, it makes me feel like bad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking to be kind of borderline scared and uncomfortable and just disoriented, uh, check out Portal, man. Yeah. Uh, I recommend all their stuff. Their new album, Ion, that mm-hmm. came out this year is fucking incredible. Um, Vex, Vex Void, that's the one that Curtain is on. That's awesome. Solid. Uh, Swarth is before that, I believe. They're all, they're all great. I prefer like the last three over the first couple. Yeah. The production's um, a little different too. Yeah. Um, just look, there's a lot going on. It's even it's hard to describe. If you're into black metal, if you're into death metal, if you're in, just generally into fucked up weird music, you gotta ch- you gotta check out Portal if you haven't already. Um, and the, the lyrical content, I mean, good luck, man. Yeah. Good luck. The the latest that I've read is they say the lyrical content is more like a, referring to old technology and esoteric writings. I mean, it's a pretty broad statement. Okay. That could mean almost anything. Yeah. Um, you know, because there's like this, people say like they, there's this, they sing in their own language if they created it. I think that's all bullshit. Just a rumor. Like magma. Yeah. Yeah, they have their own language. Um, but yeah, I think Portal is amazing. And, and the new album I on is, it's a contender for album of the year for me. Okay. It's early in the year, but that's a contender for me for sure. I have a Psychroptic as being a band to mention, which uh, for the fans of technical death metal, and most notably our friend Todd Stern is in that band. All the way from New Jersey, he plays in a band in, in Australia. <laughs> and I think I have a hard time traveling. <laughs> now that leaves, uh, on my list at least, we have Destroyer 666, which uh, the controversial... A band that controversy seems to be following, yet you can't talk about metal in Australia and not mention Destroyer 666. They've been around since 1994. And um, 
So yeah, claims of them being NSBM, um, you know, uh, misogynists. Uh, KK Warlust is definitely someone who's like a controversial figure in the metal scene, as well as his former band Bestial Warlust, <laughs> which is a great name, Bestial <laughs> Warlust. But I want to bring attention to the fact that recently in this wave of, um, how shall I put it, uh, recreational outrage that seems to be going on. It's a good way to put it. Yeah. Where everyone feels like there's there needs they need a cause and and there are causes to be made there definitely there there are things out there in society and in the world where you should be outraged but there's this sport sporting aspect of it which I find kind of offensive where everyone needs to have their own tragedy they need to have their own personal vendetta or you know horrible thing that they need to rail against and I'm not saying that. You know, you shouldn't be offended by certain things if they offend whatever sensibilities you have. But the, the irony with Destroyer 666 is they came under fire because K.K. Warlust made a uh, perceived misogynistic statement about the, uh, the Me Too movement where he was saying that all these, these women need a stiff cock. <laughs> Instead of... And, 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 you know, I'm sensitive to the plight of... Of, I, I don't think that's something you should joke around about. I don't think that rape is funny. And I don't think that, you know, people claiming to have been raped. Um, I don't find any real humor in that. However, the one irony is that in the wake of all of these bands that are being accused of being Nazis, such as Taka, Marduk, and Watain, K.K. Warlust is someone who actually... <laughs> If you're going to single one person out, I think that dude could actually be singled out as being a Nazi. Well, dude, that's my problem, like, with this, all this shit, is that, you know, me and you talk about this a lot, off mic, so to say. Yeah. But, like, it's my problem with all this shit, is that if you want to find, like, bad people with, like, bad perspectives on shit, you don't have to look far, man. Like... There's plenty of these these bands that have come right out and tell you, you know, this is the deal, right? There's plenty of organizations in this country that that gather publicly and rally, and you you can find out where their addresses are. Hate groups, legit hate groups that tell you, we hate these people. We, but no, instead we have to try to like bend and twist. Uh, uh, song lyrics and, and imagery that, that that's questionable. It's it's art, right? Right. You know, it's like the whole death in June thing with the imagery and the death death's head skull and all that stuff. Like, you can bend and twist any lyric or art in, into making it offensive to you, um, but with so much of this shit is just put right out in the open. Yeah. But why why do they why do these people never attack that? Well, I, and I find it even more interesting the fact that they didn't like they all right they. They singled out Destroyer 666 for misogyny, okay? Right, right. <laughs> Which is like... <laughs> right, but it's least for their problems. But they didn't look just a little bit further and find out about all these weird, sketchy ties that he has to the, you know, it's the, you know, the RAC, the Rock Against uh, Communism movement down in Australia. Like, there's all these bands 
that these this guy has ties to these bands, and right. it's like they didn't use that as a as a method of getting him thrown off the Watain tour or having a show shut down or no one in Antifa like threatened anybody because this dude's in town, right. you know. And it's like there's a record called Unleash the Wolves, and if you look at the the thank you list, it includes bands like Fortress Squadron and Brutal Attack, which are straight up white power bands. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, you know the the investigative journalists that are writing for um, Metal Sucks somehow seem to miss that. You know what I mean? <laughs> Would you call them investigative journalists? Yeah, like the yellow journalism of this particular website, you know, who seems to be a day late and a dollar short in uncovering anything in- incriminating any of these people. Like, every all their most recent intel on everybody is at least 10 years old. Right. Okay? Um... And and the and the things that they found out are, are it's debatable how significant they are, honestly. However, Destroyer Six 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 was in their you know, in their sights, you know, okay, for misogyny. You know, we we're not supposed to support misogyny. I understand that. That's that's a negative thing. But why not pile on the whole white power thing if you're looking for Nazis? Just gonna let that slide. Just gonna let that one slide. Yeah, let that slide. And then maybe two years from now they'll they'll bring that up, you know. And that's what I mean. It's like I just find the whole thing very tiring and just you guys had a great opportunity right here. <laughs> it's in print. You know, there's all these like tangible lines drawn between destroy six 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 and white power oh. and you didn't Fucking, you didn't strike. That just shows me how fucking amateur this whole crusade is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Not to mention, I believe this uh, website sponsored the talk tour the last time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I already went in. But the information that they're, you know, spewing a few months ago is, once again, it's like 10 years old. So where was this knowledge of this information two years ago when you sponsored a talk tour? I just think it's like, it, it makes me think of like people who are just now getting into this stuff and they're oh hey by the way man all the stuff I like is all really weird <laughs> politically you know and I don't know it's like it's like suddenly they're realizing that this the outsider like the realm of the outsider is actually meant for outsiders not for right. nice well-adjusted kids right you now and that's and for and that just is what it is I'm not saying it's good or bad I'm not making any kind it's of just a fact. statement on it and it's like you know, you go into these realms, and there, there, there's, there's dark things there. There's darkness there. You know, and it's like, you can choose, choose to, uh, you know, participate in any way you want. You know, but don't be offended when you run into things that are darker than you expected them to be. I'm also a believer that you, you can listen to, Destroyer Six 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 or bands with questionable beliefs, and not share that those beliefs. Sure. It seems to be like now, like if I, you know, if when I leave here and get in my car and put on a Burzum record, then I guess I'm a Nazi. This is blanket statement of everything all the time with any question. I happen to like questionable art and stuff that's a little dangerous sure. and makes you think a little bit. I'm not, I'm not supporting any uh, of this stuff. That's you know, I don't support misogynist no. people or, or 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 racism or whatever, but. I, I don't know, man. Like, it's just the whole it's the whole battle with with art and censoring art. I don't believe in that. 
I don't believe in censoring art. Well, we were talking about Amrup earlier, and there's um, Frank Kozik, a lot of his poster art and swastikas all over it. Yeah. Adolf Hitler, you know, it's like, right. is, is Frank Kozik a Nazi? Right. No, I don't think so. That's I right. mean, exactly. Yeah. Tom Hazelmeyer might be, but no, 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 no. Just, just kidding. Just kidding, everyone. That was, um, that was called humor, which... A lost art form. It's, it's a lost art form, you know. <laughs> Uh, we could go on and on with that yeah. shit, man. I think we both feel the same way about that. Uh, uh. I got a couple honorable mentions here that don't have much. We might have touched on them. I have like the Saints, uh, the band The Hard Ons, which yes. Henry Rollins made a, a record with them. I've seen that. Doing ACDC covers. Yes. We were talking about that. Yes. A whole lot of Rosie. Yep. Uh, Let There Be Rock. Yep. Dead Can Dance. I always forget they're yeah, from Australia. Yeah, I forget they're from Australia. I think they're British because of the way the music sounds. Right. But, yeah, totally. But they're not. They're Australian. And uh, the Angels, a sort of rock band, you know, Australian rock music. And uh, yeah, Australia. I know we're forgetting tons of bands, probably. I know someone's going to be like, well, what about, you know. I just want to touch What about Midnight of... Oil? You know? <laughs> <laughs> what about them? Uh, yeah, I just want to touch on a couple quick, too, just to close out. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite bands from over there is Mournful Congregation, who is yes. another could be considered the spearheaded the funeral doom movement. Um, awesome band, uh, started in '93, still active. Put out a record in 2018 called "The Incubus of Karma," which is right up there with the Portal record as possibly being one of my favorite albums of the year so far. So check that out for sure if you're into doom or funeral doom. And that kind of stuff. And then one other quick thing, being a guy who attempts to play bass, uh, Bob Daisley, who was in, did some short stints in Sabbath, Rainbow, and was a heavy contributor to Ozzy's Blizzard of Oz album. Bass, backup vocals, a lot of songwriting from Australia. So, yeah. Australia's fucking where it's at, man. A lot of great music. We gave you a list of stuff that's impossible to find. So you got to do some homework. Let's put in 30, 40 hours next week and yeah, uh, right. sort it out. Well, I think the Destroyer 666 stuff is pretty easy to find, though. Yeah, that's easy yeah, to find. I think you can buy that online yeah. somewhere. You can get that at Walmart. Yeah. Or <laughs> well, at least, you know. The portal. That stuff's not too hard to find. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, we'll come up with another topic. And, uh, you know, thanks for listening. And uh, we'll see you guys soon.
Cool, cool fire. 